Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, it's top of the morning to you. Brian Buffini here, and welcome to It's a Good Life. Today, we have a very special guest. He's coming to us all the way from Amsterdam, Rick Pasteur. Rick is an author and a productivity expert. His goal is to help people make smarter decisions about their time. He wrote his best-selling book, a great book called Grip, The Art of Working Smart and Getting to What Matters Most. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks. Well, it's, uh, let's see, it's uh, a little after 10 o'clock in the morning here. It's a little after, what, 7 o'clock where you are? 7. So we yes. really appreciate you taking the time. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. This is the kind of stuff, you know, we're going to get into. We talk about it's a good life, and we talk about the right mindset and the right habits and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, one of the dynamics for a good life is uh, the chance to be productive, to lead into some form of productivity, but also that sense of well-being that you get from being productive, not wasting your time, not wasting your life. And then hopefully if you're productive and you're using your gifts, there might be some prosperity involved in that as well. So we're good with all of that. So before we kind of dive into the concept of grip, which I really want to pull apart in detail, I think it's very good. It's a very fresh look on, as I was sharing with you before we started recording, I've been around this subject for 35 years. I really think you have a fresh approach on this and I haven't seen a fresh approach in a long time. But I would love to know a little bit about you, and our audience would love to know about you. Who's this fellow who's talking to us from Amsterdam? And uh, how did you get started on the path to productivity? Yes, yeah, so, so I think good for people to know is that I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd. Uh, I'm an engineer, uh, programmer. Uh, I studied that stuff. Um, so I have an information sciences uh, degree. And I'm, I, I, like I get in the flow and in the zone when I'm coding. So... Uh, I like being uh, being alone, being focused on the task and stuff like that. So creating and building stuff. Um, but I've also been involved in multiple companies. Uh, ran my own company when I was in uh, when I was in college. Um, and one of the first things that I found then was that if you want to get paid, um, stuff needs to be done. And there is no, there, there is no other. Way. Hey, we need to say that again. There's a whole generation of people who need to hear that statement. That was exactly what I found. That if you join a startup where there is no clients, you can just do whatever you want. And uh, the the experience from from uh, from myself to be uh, thinking about, okay, how am I going to pay the bills at the end of the month? Okay, I I need a system. I need some kind of structure. So what I what am I? what am i looking at so then and you you briefly mentioned um that you that you work with stephen covey um way back i would have loved to to meet the man um um and uh and and same goes for david allen he's actually living close by i met him a couple of times sure uh, we've had dave at our seminars we flew him over from amsterdam and i think he did some groundbreaking stuff on how to how to actually do work but still most of the people that i'm that i meet um and I'll, including myself in the beginning, we just do something. We just like, there's no, like, there's no, um, well, this is not something that's given to us at, at, at childbirth, right? So this is something that we have to learn. Well, anyway, long story short, like I'm an engineer, uh, love building digital products, uh, but then grew into a manager role. And that was where, well, of course, where the rubber hits the road, uh, you need some ways to uh, keep on standing in this, <laughs> on, the, on this planet. And for us, uh, there's another Irishman Our other producer, David Lally, is in the control room today. We grew up with a phrase for the Dutch. You know, first of all, we used to hear, if you're not Dutch, you're not much, right? So the Dutch and the Irish have a lot in common. What many Americans probably don't have tremendous familiarity with the country, 
Holland is basically a, a country reclaimed from the sea. That's good. Between building all the dikes and the waterways and everything, basically created all the land and the farm and so on and so forth. And the phrase was grown up because we had tremendously rich land, still do in Ireland. And the phrase used to be grown up, if the Irish lived in Holland, we'd all drown. And if the Dutch lived in Ireland, they'd be all millionaires, right? So I cannot take credit for the dikes, though. Sorry, but like... Yeah, that's a, for sure. But I think inherently, uh, culturally, there is a sense of productivity that's been historical in the, in the Dutch culture. And then you get into, like I said, your peers and millennials and younger millennials and whatever else. And all of a sudden, hey, I get to do what I want, but I got to get paid. Uh, you know, you have a family now. Zig Ziglar, one of my mentors said, Brian, the greatest motivational speech in history is a wife, a mortgage, and some kids. And that, that will get you being productive, right? And so let's talk about, let's dive in, if you will. I have the book here in front of me in my hot little hand, for those of you watching on YouTube. What is GRIP? Explain to the person who's not exposed to it at all. Yeah, so linked to what I just said, I, I, I believe, and that's weird, that we never get really taught how to work. So we get a lot of information on our, that the contents of our job, uh, we get a lot of stuff that we need to think about, but then, of course, like you, you wake up and then it's Monday, Monday morning, nine a.m. What do you do? Uh, and and most of the people around me that I that I notice, and also in the beginning myself, um, we just respond. We just respond to open things like emails and messages and stuff that comes in. And there is a lot of stuff that comes in, right? There's there is plenty. So you can always respond, which is which feels which feels really good in the short term, but um, is is not 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 pushing you forward in the long term. And I'm a huge fan of these type of books, uh, like getting things on just the stuff that, that, I, that I mentioned. And then people started asking me, Rick, especially at the company that I, that I was at, Blendle was a startup that I was working um, and managing the product. Uh, people started asking me, like, okay, Rick, how do you do this? Because you seem to have a lot on your plate, but you, you seem to be okay with that. So how, do you, how do you manage? And I, I would say, okay, here is the stack of books you need to read. Here is the list of podcasts that I enjoy that you also should read. Here is the list of blogs that you'd follow. Mm-hmm. Well, the list goes on and on. We are, yeah. uh, I, I see you as a fellow geek in that sense that we love this stuff, but most people actually don't. Like they, they, they need to survive in their work. Um, and, uh, and, and then I said, okay, let me just write a couple of bullets uh, on how I do this. Uh, taking the best ideas from everywhere, right. building on top of that, making that really clear. That's grip. Right. And, and here's the thing. There is nothing new under the sun right? You know, I, I opened up your book and, and like one of the first thing that like we talked about, you know, here's the Covey putting first things first with the jar. And I was telling you that I was actually in the Delmar Hilton in 1990 was the first time he ever actually used that illustration. It's brilliant. And there is nothing new under the sun, but, but there are new approaches to new problems. And I do believe, you know, your big word there is respond. Completed tasks give us dopamine hits. They make us feel like we're accomplishing something. There is so much to respond to every single day. A guy who worked for me, a great guy named Paul Thibodeau, he worked for me for 22 years. And he said, I just never had any idea when I retired how busy I would be. And he goes, I'm actually in need of some productivity help because I'm just responding to stuff all day long. He says, I have no time. He said, I thought I'd retire. I'm going to garden. I'm going to take cooking classes. I'm going to play more golf. He said, I'm hardly getting to any of that stuff. I've got so much stuff coming at me all the time. 
That's a retired guy. Yeah, exactly. So if a retired guy feels a little overwhelmed by it, exactly. how and about think, the rest of us? So we'll talk, I, I, I believe we'll talk about um, the second part, which is zooming out more uh, later. But the first part of the book is really about, uh, about your week. And I really believe that in order to get more, um, get, get, a, get a better sense of direction and be, have a more fulfilling life, I actually opt to begin with the week with the basic stuff because that's that that will create a space um, to actually think about uh, about your larger ambitions and dreams. Let's do this for a sec, Rick, if I can. Let's define grip for the people just so we can give them an anchor by which we get a basis on. You know, you got the elevator speech and you have to tell someone you got 10 floors and I push the button. What is grip? So grip is a, is a method, is a structure, a framework to at any point in the week know what you're working on so have a decision that's already been made on what you're working on and also framework to think about what you're going to do. And with all of the elements in the book, I'm pulling apart strategy and execution. So what are you working towards and how do you do this? And, um, and, and that's, that's on a high level grip. And then if you zoom, if you zoom in, uh, the first part is four chapters, calendar, to-do list, email or communication, weekly review or Friday recap. And then the second part is about Okay, but what, how how do you how do I do goal setting? Um, how do I make sure that my letter is against the right rule, as Coffee would have said, like uh, the, the, that that part. But the, the first part of the book is really about how do you have better weeks where you get where you have time for the stuff that matters to you. And you know, I think that it's easy to get people sometimes so consumed on the day. There's a lot of books and information about the day right now, but there's not enough wiggle room in a day. So people often feel a sense of failure. Okay, here's how to have the perfect day. You know, there's millions of podcasts and the most commonly asked questions, what's your morning routine, right? Well, here's the thing. I have pretty good morning routines, but sometimes your morning routines get shot. You have kids, you have grandkids, you have life, you have a burst pipe. You know, you wake up in the morning and I, holy moly, you know? And so I was telling you, I go to Holland every year looking for horses. My daughter is one of the top riders in the US in dressage and some of the greatest dressage riders and horses and breeders are in in Holland. So yesterday morning, I had a big long day. I had a bunch of people flying in for meetings and whatever else. And I had a sick horse. At 4 a.m., the call comes in. And, uh, you know, it was an unusual circumstance. The barn manager wasn't there. And here I am, you know, I'm going to have this big international business meeting. And I'm in boots and this and that and the other trying to figure out what to do with a vet at uh, 4.45 in the morning, you know. So, uh, you know, life happens. And sometimes these perfect days or these perfect routines, and then people miss their routine in the morning, and then they feel like a failure. Then they kind of check it out because I missed that day. I'm going to miss the next day. I really like this precision of the week because you can get so much accomplished, but then it also has a little wiggle room. So, okay, great. I can still have a great week and the horse got sick. I can still have a great week and the pipes burst. I can still have a great week and the kids got sick in the morning. And so I like the focus on the week. How does someone have a great week? So I think. I think this ties back to um, some of the things that we touched upon uh, before this this talk about young like young young people really want to have um, the ability to switch around all the time like they they really want to ne- to be able to negotiate what they're working on at any given point uh, of time in the day and I found that it's actually very freeing for them for someone to say to them hey it's actually not bad to commit to something for a week. And to make a decision that this is not something that you're going to renegotiate on anymore. Um, but what you also need is a point in the week where you are going to renegotiate. 
Because if you um, if you commit to something and you know that on Friday there will be this block that's in your calendar this moment or on su- on on Saturday or Sunday or Monday morning, I don't I don't really care. But if there is that point, um, now I feel completely comfortable trusting in the fact that I'm just going to run my week, and there will be a point in time in seven days where I will be renegotiating my priorities, and I'm and then I'm fine to to shift around anything. But the the thing is. We let our feelings drive what we do way too much, um, and maybe maybe older people will, will think like oh, I'm I'm not doing that. That's that's of course fine. Maybe diff- different generation, but for younger people, uh, this is very often the case. It needs to feel good. Oh, just so you know, us old farts have that same problem as well. That same problem, no doubt. I mean, I just think it's more endemic, right? I have six kids that are from thirty down to twenty, and you know these guys grew up with having their laptop open, playing a DS game, and scrolling their phones, right? So the the art of distraction and whatever multitasking, and Dave Allen have a heart attack talking about multitasking. But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, and especially in the world we live in today, that's so dramatic, hyperbolic. The feelings drive us is a huge statement here. The two things I hear you communicate is that the feelings are great, basically the hijacker to productivity. The word you use all the time is decision. And I, it seems like if you're going to have a good week, you need to make the decision up front of what you're going to do, what you're going to work on. You're going to make that commitment. And then if you can build some freedom into it as well, then it seems to be the winning formula. So, and, and, and the, one of the things that's essential and crucial for st- to start making decisions is being uh, comfortable with the fact that your time is finite. And um, we are also used to a set of tools that give us the feeling that that time is endless, right? To-do lists are have the option to uh, to go on and on, and your mailbox will also never stop, especially yours, I guess. But like there's there's uh, there, there's way too much that we can ever handle. Our calendars, though, are uh, a perfect picture of our actual time that we have, and this is very limited, and. Um, uh, what I found is I struggled a lot with prioritization when I was only relying on my to-do list and when I was relying on creating like three bullets a day. As soon as I started bringing in my calendar as the very first, the rock of my of my week and of my day and actually of my year, um, this started to shift. Why is that? That was because um, now I needed to make uh, these tough decisions because if I start to fit in my work in the calendar that's actually the biggest principle in the book use your calendar not just for meetings but also for everything that's going on people will say to me Rick I try to do this I cannot possibly fit everything in that I'm that I've com- my, committed myself to and then I said okay this is exactly why you do this exercise because now you feel um, upfront you have this upfront uh, notion that you are overbooked which what, what, what happens to a lot of people is that they have this notice after the fact, when it's too late, when they made the promises and couldn't stick to it, couldn't stick to them, right? You want this signal up front. So that's why it's so nice to have your calendar drive, um, drive that decision making. So here's an example of how I apply this principle. And this, by the way, works the same with money. You know, I, I'm a guy who teaches old-fashioned budgeting. And the reason why most people's budgets fail is they don't put everything in the budget. They're optimistic. They look, okay, here's my house payment. Here's my car payment. Here's electricity. Here's gas. And they have their big numbers. But when you look at your expenses and cash and your transactions, it's, oh, yeah, I'm buying coffee here. I'm doing this here. I have this over here. 
and it's all the other stuff that's not accounted for. So the budget is kind of a hope. I didn't realize. So I've taught this budgeting, and I've done very well economically because I would live within my means. I would create a surplus. I would invest the surplus. I did not apply the same principle to my time. And so, and as I have multiple businesses, we have, you know, we're the largest business coaching company in the world. I have this podcast. Oh, the people want to hear more. Oh, great. I'll do two a week and I'll do this and I'll do that. And so finally what I had to do, and this will be right down your alley, we took the calendar to my assistant. Then I went to someone like David Lally, who works with me, all of my content. And I had all of the, okay, you got to present this. This workbook's got to be built here and so on and so forth. And here's what was not in my calendar. I had nothing in my calendar for actually creating the content. I had nothing in my calendar for thinking. I had nothing in my calendar for the books I actually read. I had nothing in my calendar for any of these things. I just had at events. And basically, what I was doing to myself was, here I am, the budget king who's built a fortune by managing his money, who was not the time management king because I was applying basic budgeting principles to my calendar. And it wasn't until, until I'm talking about recently, where basically my team came together and they took over my calendar and said, no, no, I mean, this is preparation and this is when you do a rehearsal and this is when you do the thinking time. But here's why I think the point you'll resonate with. When I actually saw my schedule fully baked out, just like somebody's budget, I went, oh my God. And the next week, the amount of people, oh, Brian, I'd love to get together with you. Oh, Brian, could I get lunch with you? Can I grab a coffee with you? Hey, I'm flying into town. Hey, Brian, I'm in Tuesday. Can you? And I've always been so willing to do this stuff. And the answer to everybody became no. I'm already way overcommitted. And so that, that gets back to this decision. And so this content is very fresh for me right now. And I've been working, like I said, I've been there with Stephen Covey years, okay? He ended up merging with the Franklin Covey Planner. I've had those guys at my seminar. I've had relationships with these guys. I've taught on time management, and I've done some great things with time management. But over time and in this new era, I found out that I wasn't following these grip principles in regards to I was under-budgeted with my calendar and over-committed everywhere and feeling tension and stress and burning out constantly because it was basically like a completely almost naive approach to my calendar where the stuff wasn't, what I was actually doing wasn't fully budgeted in. And I think, like you said, I think most people like myself terrified to do the exercise Oh yeah, because you realize how overcommitted you actually are. Exactly. You are in a position to be able to also change this. And that's also the feedback that I get that I get on this right away from people. Yeah, but okay, you can maybe do this. You are the CEO, you are the owner. Like you can change it. I'm just an employee. How do I do this? And then I say exactly the same thing because why is it so hard to say no? Why is it so hard to decline on a specific question? Because you don't have a good um, a, a, a good data point um, to, to help you say no. And suddenly if you have your stuff in your calendar, you can also start to say to your manager, look, manager, here's my calendar. You want me to do something extra? That means either I have to swap some, something off my calendar or I have to start working in the, in the evenings or weekends. Do you want me to do that? And speaking as a boss, I am totally comfortable with one of my staff telling me I can't get to that when they show me that they're working on the priorities. That's the key. So do you want me to add this to this list? And this is like number 20 priority, but I'm working on number one. Hey, no, stick with it. And that's really, so it gets back to prioritization, right? And then the prioritization then becomes the calendar. And then the calendar becomes the decisions. 
And I have a quote in my office. It's from Warren Buffett. And he was interviewed and he said, what's the difference between successful people and really successful people? And he said, really successful people say no to almost everything. And that really is the empowerment. We want to serve. We want to please. We want to be perceived. Oh, I want to get a promotion. So I want to work hard. Well, the way to get a promotion is not burn yourself out and then be average at everything. The way to get a promotion is take the top three priorities and nail them. And if you do that, that stands out. That moves the needle. That gets it done. If you own a business and you make the top three priorities your priority, yeah, there's some details that might not be there and there might be a few bumps and bruises, but you're going to win. And I think connected to that is that that might that might feel or um, be, be perceived as quite overwhelming, right? What you're saying is quite an ask if you get started. And and I would I would also add to that that there is a second thing that you can start doing to earn trust, and that's make small commitments, really small, and then mm. make sure they happen, right? Right? Not 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 under deliver, or also not over deliver, but just deliver. And how do you do that? By making yep. sure that if someone asks something of you, that you have a proper system, you're not feeling your way around, you have some some place where this can land, where this can be processed, where it can be added to your schedule, and then where you follow up, follow up on. And um, and this depends, of course, on, on where you are as a listener in your life, in your career. But for, for a lot of people, I see that this is actually an area, like, of course, prioritization and big, big chunks, there's huge stuff, like a, a huge um, amount of of things to be gained but also on the lower level on the like hey uh, can you can you look at this report for me by by this afternoon and then following actually following through <laughs> that's already a superpower which is weird but that's already something that mm-hmm. make uh, that will make a lot of bosses really happy and that's stand out that's, amongst the crowd for sure and that's yeah while it's such a basic thing um and the beauty of the calendar again is that it brings together both both things like the small part the small commitments where you can make huge and rapid pro, uh, uh, progress in how people perceive you and the big chunks. Brilliant stuff. And there's two particular things I want to cover in this episode here. One is I want to get into the open loops discussion and I want to frame it in a, a particular way and why I think actually open loops and, and that whole dynamic with regards to creativity is a huge opportunity, I think, for grip to take hold of. And then I want to get into the seven motivators, which is a very, very practical way to go about some things. So let me kind of set the context of where I'm coming from, right? I'm involved in this world. I know all these authors and speakers, companies. I speak at all these events. I'm in these business networking pieces with employers that have lots of, lots of staff. The number one thing since COVID in the last couple of years, since the lockdown, since everybody became a Zoom artist, productivity is actually, it's, it's almost been more draining. People are thinking, oh, I'm working from home, it's more comfortable. But like we're looking at one another right now. You know, when you're in a meeting, you can kind of walk, look around and you move some things. When you're dealing with someone like this, it is extremely draining. And you do this and you're in one place. I found myself stiff and sore and more burned out working from home Zooming all day long than any I think I ever did with meetings. Mm. And a lot of people have found the same thing. Now, we know there's shift going on for companies, corporations. My own staff, I have a staff now. First of all, I have almost 50 people who do not work in the state that our company was, is operating out of, which is, that's all new. Secondly, I have, okay, a, a third of my staff come in on this day and a third of my staff come in on this day. And we have this combo now, work from home, work in the office, all that stuff. But the results are already coming in and the studies have shown that the productivity is actually up in this environment. 
but creativity is down. And this is where I believe this niche mm-hmm, of what mm-hmm. you've got and where you're going is a bigger niche. And I'm, I'm always a business coach. So as I'm coaching you up here, young man, I'm telling you the work that you've done here that can really help in not just in productivity, but mm-hmm. also this creativity, because creativity is a huge component for success in business, success in life, whether someone has a job, owns a business, wherever. And so the open loops is something I'd love you to talk about and how we can free our brain up for creative work by closing these loops. So if we, you could talk about that, I think it's a great insight. So again, like these are, these are not groundbreaking ideas, but we need new ways to deal with them because we, we, technology progressed and, uh, and there's ways to, 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 um, to leverage those. But to get back to the, to the problem is that we are treating our brains as our storage a lot. And we depend on our brains for a lot of things. While our brains are actually quite good at, at remembering stuff, but they're not so good to, to remind you at the, at, the, at the best possible time. So instead, what happens is that as soon as there is a bit of white space, as soon as the, the, noise, um, uh, the noise drops, so when you're in the shower on your own or when you are, like, when you are just, just walking out, out the grocery store and you're done with the task or walking out of a meeting, that's when the noise quiet, quiets down and then the, the signals start to pop in, pop in again. The signals were there, but you didn't hear them. And, um, uh, and, I, and I love, and, and by the way, I, of, and that's why I'm a nerd. I love what Elon Musk is doing with the Neuralink because Neuralink mm-hmm. is a kind of implant in your brain. And I, I, I will be actually quite, um, well, I, I'm not sure if I get, uh, um, if I get uh, permission from my wife to do this, but I, I would, I would love to, <laughs> to have a bigger bandwidth between, between my brain and technology because I think it could be helpful. Luckily, there's also some uh, some less in, in intrusive ways to do this. And one is, of course, um, making sure that from today on, you will not use your brain for storage ever again. Trust on something else. And the, the thing that, I'm trust, that I trust on is uh, a to-do list to make sure, uh, which is a simple idea, but it should be one. And that's where peop- most people go, uh, go, go in the wrong direction because they have multiple lists. And the same thing as what you're describing with budgeting happens again. Um, you, you, because there's multiple lists, your brain starts freaking out and starts to think, okay, I'm not completely sure where this task is. Um, so maybe I will also uh, keep a hold of this, right? And that's what you don't want. So if you have one system that you can trust, which is on your phone, which is always on you anyway, you pour every thought in it. If it's work, if it's from something in your house that needs to be done, something in your friends and circle, whatever that's going on. If it's all there, you can fully let go of all this background noise. And with that, you have way more capacity to focus on what's at hand, which is indeed having creative thoughts, making sure your mind can wander and you're not like hitting into any any other things that are not relevant to what's at hand. Let me give you some feedback here, right? So I'm in the personal growth and development business 35 years. And I'm a guy that when I read a book or went to a seminar or got some input, I would always give credit where credit was due. And I would bring a fresh approach to an old principle. There are no new principles. You're one of the few people out there in your era and genre of writing who will admit to that. And I think, by the way, that is going to be the key of your success. It's the richness in the book, Grip, oh, yeah. which it's built on tried and true principles. There are no new principles, but there is new approaches. Having a to-do list has been around a long time. Not using your brain as storage 
That's a fresh approach. And the reason being is because our brain is going to work all the time on those problems. And when we have these open loops, it's like we have a bunch of unanswered questions. Our brain is working. One of the dynamics that people are showing today is the quality of sleep has deteriorated because the mind is so active trying to solve all these problems at night. I mean, here's the thing. When they're, when they're trying to break you down in interrogation, one of the things they want to do is deprive you of sleep so you'll make mistakes, do things you don't want to do, be unproductive, break down your resistance. Okay, mm. I don't sleep well, then I don't eat well, then I don't exercise well, then I don't think well, then I don't do well, then I don't create well. So how do you approach it? And how do you approach the to-do list to wrap up all those open loops? So my, I, I treat my to-do list as the second stage of the rocket, right? So and that's what I'm describing in the, in the first part of the book. It starts with the calendar. If it's there, I do it, right? There's no negotiation. The, the, the to-do list is way more um, granular. It's way more like the sand between the rocks as, uh, as, as, as the example. Like these are all the things that could happen. And if they really need to happen, I will move them to my calendar. But uh, the to-do list is basically my my capturing place. So at any point in the day where I'm in a meeting, I have a hotkey on my computer where I can just type it like in one second, I can drop this note in. On my phone, the same thing. I have an app with one tap. I can write it. It's done. It's gone. And then um, uh, whenever there's a free free moment in my calendar, I will not reach out to my email, which is what most people do. But I will first reach out to my to-do list and then scan, hey, is there anything that I can pick up from there right now? And then if if that's empty, I will move to email. Uh, and maybe we'll, we'll, t- we'll chat about that in a second. But um, that's that's how I treat my, my to-do list. And so for me, what I do is I take the to-do list because I've been doing it for 35 years. And what I'll do is I'll go A, B, C, D. And A is that those are the highest priorities and then B's, C's, D's are the kind of, if I get to them, that's great, but they're not got to have it. And then I go back to the A's and I go, what's one, what's two, what's three, what's four? And I think what a lot of people think is, and we'll, we'll end here right now, what a lot of people think is productivity is that I checked off all of my boxes on the to-do list. And I will say to you, if you finish a day where all of your to-do list is checked off, you are not working on anything of any significance. And that the truth of the matter is, the more successful I've become in life, the truth is I might get one half of an A1 in a day. And you have to learn. And the day, by the way, at the end of the day, usually the to-do list is longer than the day before. And you have to become comfortable with that is what success looks like. You have to be able to get the good night's rest, knowing I had a good day because I focused on a priority that I said was a priority. I executed on that and I made progress on that. I'm winning. And it's a real discipline and maturity to know, no, I can check off the box if it's clean my desk, you know, get my car washed, you know, you know, pick up the dry cleaning. Like I can get those things done, but those are not going to be days that move the needle, that grow my business, change my career, whatever else, uh, increase my net worth. So here's what we're going to do. We've committed to short form podcasts, you know, try to keep it around a person's commute. But this is not a short form interview today. And I asked you to stay up late right there in Amsterdam because there is so much. And, and I really do appreciate your fresh approach to something that I know. This content has already been stuff I've been doing for decades, but yet I found a lot new here today in this book that brought a fresh approach to my own productivity and ultimately not just made me more productive, but has given me a little bit more peace of mind and a little less overwhelm 
and a little less uh, stress in the process. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come back to Rick, and we're going to ask him to stay on with us. You can catch up with this episode in a couple of days, and uh, there's so much to cover here. On our next episode, we're going to dive into more about grip. I'm going to get into the seven motivators, which I really want to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit to wrap up our week to talk about this Recap Friday, and then we're going to talk about how to grip your year and grip your life. So tune in next time as I continue on my conversation with Rick Pasteur. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.